day that will be. You all can have a seat. Glorious day. Are you ready for it? Some days I'm like, maybe Lord, you can hold off a little longer. And then other days I'm like, yesterday, could you just come? Oh. No, I think I'm, I'm ready. Thank you guys very much. Well, welcome to Farmington Baptist Church. I'm so glad to see you all here today. Um, I'm not the pastor here. If you are new, I want to let you know my name is Seth Farnell. I'm the associate pastor, and I get to hang out with the teenagers and the kids a lot. And uh, I'm not sure if it keeps me young or ages me quicker, but maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> so it balances out, right? All right. Um, summer. Uh, okay. I was corrected in the first service. I said that summer was over, and everyone said, no, it's not. So I'm going to say it lightly. Summer is coming to an end. It's getting closer to being fall, and we can, we can feel it in the weather. Like, I mean, it's a little bit better than 95 that we had last week. This week's a little bit cooler. All right, but um, has anyone, like, you're done with vacations for the summer season? Just raise your hand. You've, you've done your vacations, no more. Okay. You, raise your hand if you've got a few more to go. All right. Yeah. First service the same way. It was just like, whoa. I was like, okay, yes, summer's not over. You're right. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, we just got from that, back from the beach um, a couple weeks ago. And we love the beach. We, it, it's just our favorite uh, place to vacate. We go to the same place every single year since I've been a kid. Just something about going there. Being in the atmosphere, being in God's creation, um, seeing his creation, like, it's just, it, it's, it's therapeutic. I mean, it really is for us. I mean, some people don't like it, but for us, we, we really love it. Uh, this year was a little different because we have two toddlers now, and whereas last year we had a toddler and an infant, but now we have two toddlers, and the one toddler who, she's almost four, she's really not even a toddler anymore. I guess, she, I guess that's still a toddler. She's still a toddler. Don't tell Heather. She's still a toddler. <laughs> uh, she's getting a little more daring. Uh, she likes to get out into the water, into the waves, and the waves you know, are crashing around her. I'm like, okay, Amelia, get a little daring here. Uh, there was actually, at one point, this was before the rest of my family got to the beach. We, were, we had a day where it was just me and Heather and the kids. Um, Amelia got away from us. <laughs> we were holding her hand. And a wave came, and we weren't holding her hand anymore. <laughs> and we're looking around, we're like, okay. And we see her head start to arise from the depths of the sea. <laughs> and her eyes were wide open, and the water is going over her, and she's just like, <laughs> it was the creepiest thing in the world. But our hearts sank just a little bit. Um, I think we handled it well. We didn't freak out. We actually had a talk about not freaking out if something like that were to happen, because then she would freak out. And she wouldn't want to get in the water anymore. So anyways, she freaked out a little bit, but then she was all right. It was good. Well, so, so she, she was good. I mean, she, she enjoys getting in the water, getting in, we're having her watch her. But then he got Silas, who he can walk now. He couldn't walk last year. In fact, he can, he can run in the sand. That's kind of impressive. <laughs> and if he wasn't chasing seagulls, finding seashells, destroying sandcastles, he'd be darting out towards the ocean. And we're like, dude, you can't do this. <laughs> we had to watch him like a hawk. Um, and the other thing is when he'd be walking in the water, you may remember like maybe when your kids were young or maybe y'all still have young kids, 
especially when they're around age like one, just learning to walk, you're holding their hand, the water comes up, and I don't, their brain just freaks out. They're what to do. Sorry, I think my, there we go. I think my um, microphone, that's a little bit better. Just trying to move too much. Um, their brain just doesn't know what to do. It's like the ground is just moving from with, with under them, and then they start doing this number. Whoa! And then the waves come back, and they're like, whoa! And, and Silas is loving it. He's like, I don't know what's happening, but this is crazy, and he's laughing and stuff. But then he would run off by himself, and the water would come up, and he'd just be running. Wham! And so, so, I mean, that was happening the whole week. Our vacation just was not very restful. It was, it was different. And usually we go hard at the beach anyways, but there's an element where you get to, like, just soak in the sun and the, the wind, hear the waves, and you get nice and peaceful. But it was not that way this time. <laughs> it was just constant, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Where are the kids? The whole time. And to one extent, I mean, the, the, the water was not, when I go to the beach, I like the waves to be, like, crashing slamming me. Like, if I'm out in the water, I want it to be picking me up and slamming me down the sand. That's great. Boogie boarding. Like, that's what I like. Pushing the limits, pushing the boundaries. And it was just boring this year. Like, it was just calm. And it, okay, you could argue, like, there was a little bit of peaceful relaxation while you're out wading in the water. But I didn't like that. That's not what, that's not what I like. But thankfully, for the kids' sake, it wasn't the other, what it usually is. Because just a little bit of water is enough to get them, and they proved that to us. So we had to wash them like a hawk. So I say that to tell you that water can be troublesome. Water can be dangerous. I think that's something that it draws me to the beach, why I love going to the beach so much, is because you look out there, and just there's this vast, magnificent, powerful force in front of you. I mean, things that you can't even see, all the currents that are happening underneath, let alone, you know, the sea monsters that are in the ocean, the things that can eat you. Like, it's a mysterious, powerful force. And I think there's just something, there's like that danger that I'm afraid of it, but I want to be there to feel that fear. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm weird. I don't know. But there's just something to that. And even while we were out in the ocean, like I was saying, it wasn't really, the, the current wasn't that bad, and the waves weren't that bad. Well, I was actually out there with uh, my brother and my sister, and that was cool. We hadn't had a time to just be together like this in a really long time. And so it was just like old times, minus the fact, the, the constant pestering. But just like old times, we're out there just talking and enjoying one another's relationships and all that stuff. And uh, this jellyfish comes right in between all of us. My sister immediately, she freaks out. She's like, ah, jellyfish! And we're like, all right, dude, stop. It's not going to hurt you. Just don't touch it. It's going to be fine. No joke. Right after that happened, my brother starts going, shark, shark. We're like, okay, dude, stop. Like, you're just trying to make my sister, like, upset. Like, no. And I look, and there's this silhouette of this ginormous shark swimming through the ocean uh, about 20 yards from us. So we hightailed it out of there. So whether there were, there might not have been crashing waves, but there was still danger in the waters. And that's what our message is going to be about today. My, my message today is titled Troubled Waters. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And um, if, you, if you don't remember, that's okay. I'll try not to be too offended. 
But every time that I get up to speak, uh, I've been through this series called Stay the Course. And it takes this, this theme of getting on a ship and sailing your journey across the ocean. And we're relating this to our Christian lives and our journey that we have in going in a certain direction, the direction that God has called us. Um, and so the book of 2 Timothy, it's the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that we know of. And Paul is this, like, super apostle. He's this amazing Christian. God just has used him in some incredible ways. He has been a missionary. He's writing doctrine. He's writing scripture. He's writing these letters to the churches. And a lot of the New Testament is works of his. And so he has taken Timothy, and he has discipled Timothy, and he is raising Timothy up. But Paul, at this point, is getting towards the end of his journey. He's getting towards the end of his mission, uh, really the end of his life. And he is, in a way, commissioning Timothy to do some of the things that he has done, that Paul has done. And he's raising him up. He's saying, here's the things you're going to have to do. Here's the things you're going to have to look out for. Here's the things that you need to be aware of, but here's some encouragement to keep you going in this direction. Timothy, stay the course. And so we can take this for our own Christian lives, and we can apply it, that God wants us as Christians to stay the course. You know, we're, we're going in a direction, God has saved us, God has put us in this place, but it's very easy for the church, for the Christian individual to get thrown off course. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants to constantly trip us up, he constantly wants to get us off course, going in the wrong direction, but it is our job to work hard at staying the course. That's, that's the, the crazy tension in Scripture to one extent, you have God's power. No one can match God's power, and you have this sovereignty. And he has, he has chosen the church to do certain things and people to do certain things, and God's power will not be matched. But on this other side, you have this free will where you can choose whether you really want to obey or disobey. And so you see this tension, and that is our job as Christians to make sure that we are doing what we need to do and staying the course. And so without further ado, let's get into this passage this troubled waters passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Paul says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. There will come times of difficulty. We're going to stop right there for a minute. Um, the early church believed that they were in the last days. And they weren't wrong. They were truly in the last days. If you were to look at the history of Israel, the history of the church, and look through Scripture, you will see that there's certain things that had to happen. God created this world. He rose up Abraham to be the father of Israel. And then you see the story with, like, Moses leading people out of Egypt. And you see the nation of Israel rise up and fall and rise and fall. And you see that thing happening. And then you see this prophecy about this Messiah who's supposed to come and redeem Israel. And everyone's like, yeah, our nation's going to be ruled by this savior, prophet guy, this, this king. And Jesus comes. And that's not exactly what they were looking for, but Jesus was the Messiah. He was the savior. And he offered salvation to the world. But then the last thing in, in the course of this book, in the history, the last thing that's supposed to happen is the second coming is his return back to this world, redeem his people once and for all, to set up a, a new heavens and a new earth and to rule. And that's really the last thing that's going to happen. So 
2,000 years ago, in Paul's day, they were in the last days. 2,000 years later, we're still in the last days. But you could argue we're probably in like the last, 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 last days. Because, I mean, we're going to go through some stuff here, but you guys, you guys know, like there's, there's warnings in Scripture. There, you, read, you read Revelation, you read Daniel, you read Jesus' words and the Olivet Discourse and Matthew. Like they say there's, there are things that are going to happen. There are signs to look for. And more and more and more, it seems like things are unfolding. But, let, but let's look here. Let's look and see what he says. Because my heading for this passage, it might be the same for you, it says godlessness in the last days. And that's what, and that's what, that's what it says. Um, before we go any further, one more thing I want to say. This word difficulty, I don't know what your Bible says. It might say uh, perilous or it might say dangerous. Um, mine says that there will, there will be times of difficulty. The Greek word that was used there in Greek literature it was the same word to describe wild beasts, all right? So what Paul is saying is, in a sense, like, there will be times that are so hard, it will be like a wild beast attitude. You know, wild beasts, they get angry, and they ravage, and they, they tear things apart. But another way that this Greek word is used is to also describe none other than the raging sea, and that fits so well with this theme we're going through, that I had to use that. So, in the last days, there will be troubled waters. There will be a raging sea. There will be times of difficulty that the church, we as Christians, will have to endure. We will have to go through these times. So let's, let's look a little further and see how Paul describes this. In verse 2 it says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Church, we are in the last days. I need to read no further to prove my point. We are in the last days. Disobedient children. Oh, my goodness. But it goes further. It says, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, um, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, something that's interesting about this list here is other places in Scripture, Revelation, Daniel, um, Jesus' words in Matthew, some of the signs of the time are like things you can see with your eyes. So like natural disasters. There will be earthquakes. There will be pestilence. There will be all these different things that have happened. Maybe 2020 was a little bit of a precursor to the last days, right? You remember the murder hornets? In the midst of like COVID and everything else, there's like, oh, by the way, there's these murder hornets. What in the world? All right. He, in Scripture, there's all of these outward signs, these, these natural disasters, governmental unrest and, and, and upheaval. But what Paul is saying has to do more with people's character. Moral degradation is the litmus test to knowing whether you're in the last days or not. And if you look around, there's a lot of immorality in our day. But the thing is, it's not new. 
and I, we could probably even argue that this moral degradation has been happening even since before Jesus' time, you know, with the commencement of the last days. But that's what Paul says. He, he says these are the things that are going to come to the forefront. Are, are, the people of the world are going to be characterized by these traits. Um, and then he gives an instruction. He says, avoid such people. Now, that's kind of hard. Because, you know, to one extent, Christians are supposed to love the world. Christians are supposed to uh, love the lost, are supposed to be a light to the lost. How can the lost come to Christ if we're not being friendly to them, if we're not sharing the gospel with them? But to another extent, we are supposed to put up some boundaries. There are some things that we need to do to say, you know what, I love you. And I love the person that God has created you to be, and I love the potential that you could have as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, but I don't love what you're doing. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a stop right there. I'm going to put a boundary marker up right there. I will, I will befriend you, but I will not be friends with you. I will rub shoulders with you, but I'm not going to embrace you. Do you see where there's a little bit of that tension there? And... I'm not saying that you need to go to your coworkers and be like, hey, I can't talk to you anymore. All right? You're dead to me. <laughs> That's what it says in the Bible. Because I could probably pick out a couple things here about you and you fit. <laughs> the truth is, is that we could probably pick out a few things in this list and apply it to our own lives as well. That's where the beauty of grace and the cross comes in and the change that happens. But the truth is, as a follower of Christ, there is an extent where we are not supposed to embrace the people of this world to the point of being swayed by them, to the point of being taken down and steered off of our course. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? Do you get what Paul's trying to say here? But it's more than just people in general. Because there's, there's a deeper thing that he's also trying to say in addition to this watch out for these people. And it goes further. He says, he says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into houses and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, wait a second. What in the world? These people are going to come in and snatch up your, 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 your kids? Like, what, what he's talking about here, and I don't have time to really unpack this the way I really want to, but what he's talking about here, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people that are going to come into houses, that are going to come into assemblies, that are going to come into the midst of communities and, and followers of Christ, and they're going to sway them. They're going to take them away from the truth of Scripture, away from this message, and they're going to put them on the wrong path because of what their message is, because of their philosophies. Now, Satan is brilliant. I'm not going to give him much credit, but he is brilliant because what Jesus wants us to do, what God commissioned the early church to do and in the church today, is to send missionaries out to the lost. And what the missionaries do is they, they go and they pe preach in the public places, they, they preach to people, they give the message of God, and people are won over to God's message. People are redeemed, they are bought back, they are made alive. So many things you could say. That's what happens. That's how churches start in other countries, other nations, where there is no, no Jesus. And that's an awesome method. But 
Satan always has a counterfeit. Satan always has a counterfeit. He has, he has a method that looks a lot like Jesus' method, but it's different. And the end result is different and is destructive. And what Paul is saying is not only will there be moral degradation in the last days, but there will be false teachers who will rise up, and they will try to take these people and snatch them away from the truth. And so, whereas many people in the church, um, maybe we're not super, sorry, I know that's kind of annoying. Got to get a new pack here. Um, many people in the church were not, maybe not super versed in scripture. Maybe they were not super educated in doctrine and theology. They heard the message of Jesus and they thought it was good and they believed it, but they're not really ready to discern a false message, a false teaching. So what Paul does here is this is brilliant too. He tells them, he gives them this list of immoral characterization, and he says, you will know these people because this is, who, this is what they will be like. This is the character that they will have. You may not be able to discern the message, but you can smell the stench of their attitude. You may not be able to understand what they're saying and match it up to what's true and what's biblical, but you can tell when someone is off. You can tell when someone... Their character just stinks. And as a Christian, as a teacher of God's word, we're all human, but our attitude and our character should not stink. And you should be able to trust the preachers in your life, the ones who are leading the church. You should be able to trust them so you can discern a false teacher by their heart, by their character. And that was a big thing. In today's time, this still applies, but it's a little bit more difficult. Because here's the thing. Um, most of you probably don't have people who come <laughs> knocking on your door trying to give you their philosophy and say, go this direction. Right? I mean, unless it's a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, there's not many, there's not many times that you're going to have to encounter someone who's going to stand in front of you attaching themselves to the message of Jesus Christ, but veering you away. What we have today is we have philosophies that are pushed on us from all shapes and sizes in every different way. You look on social media, there's a philosophy breathing down your throat. You look on TV, there's a philosophy breathing down your throat. You read a magazine, you read a book, there's all these worldly philosophies, and to some extent, the methods look good. It looks like this is going to give me life. This is going to give me hope. This is going to give me joy or happiness. This is going to give me relief or release from whatever the trap that I'm in. I'm going to feel like I can finally walk again. But it may not be true. And it's, so it's our job to discern right and wrong. It's our job to discern evil worldly philosophies. But the problem is we don't know the person all the time. We read the method, we read the philosophy, we read the thing, the messages on social media, whatever, but we don't know who wrote it. But these people, they had the false teacher there. So it takes a little more work on our part and a little brain power and knowledge to discern truth, the truth from the lie. But then it gets better by getting worse. <laughs> All right? So let, let, let's read a little further. So he's, he's, given, he's given the people this litmus test. 
You will know them by their character. Sounds something similar to what Jesus said, right? You'll know them by their fruit. You will know the believer by the fruit that they have or lack thereof, whether they're a believer or not. And so he gives them this litmus test, this character, and then he gives them a, a, an illustration, a description. And he says, um, just as Janus and Jambres, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but that's how we're going to pronounce it. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. So you've got to ask the question, who in the world is Janus and Jambres? Um, unless you know Hebrew tradition, you're not going to know who these people are. And I, I didn't, honestly didn't know until I was studying for this passage. Um, in Hebrew tradition, well, let, let, me, let me test your, your Bible knowledge. Because you will, you will know this that I'm about to say. In the book of Exodus, you have Moses. And what did Moses do? He brought the people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt. He freed the slaves out of Egypt. But do you remember his method? He went to Pharaoh over and over and over again. And Pharaoh was like, I'm not going to let, let these people go. I want them for my own kingdom here in Egypt. Uh, I want them to build my pyramids or whatever else. And so Moses continually went to Pharaoh, and God sent plagues to the Egyptians. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Well, at the beginning of these plagues, and at the beginning of this little story in Exodus, Moses, he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Moses says, no, I will not do that. And he goes, okay, you asked for it. God's going to send some plagues. This is what's going to happen. And in order to do that, what he did, he threw his staff down, and it became what? Serpent. But that's not all that happened. Do you remember what happened? There were these, Pharaoh brought his, his, his wise men, his magicians, all these people together, and he said, we gotta, we got to match this. And so these magicians came up, and they threw their staffs down as well, and they became serpents. These magicians, according to Hebrew tradition, Hebrew tradition assigned these names. It might be their names. It might not be. It might just be what they say. But Janus and Jambres characterized these magicians. And you have to know Hebrew tradition in order to get to that point. But ultimately, this is God's inspired word, so their names must have been Janus and Jambres. So Janus and Jambres go up to Moses, and they oppose him. And they go, all right, we're going to throw our rods down, and they're going to become serpents. And Moses went on, and he came back the next day, or the next time, the next period. And he comes back to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, like a childish toddler, goes, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And he says, all right, well, here it comes. God's plagues, God's judgment is coming on you. And what did he do, the very first plague? He turned water to blood. Now Pharaoh's scrambling. He's like, whoa, hang on. All right, this is, this is pretty crazy here. He just turned water to blood. The whole Nile is now blood. Everything we're drinking is blood. All right, guys, you got to do your magic. And so these guys came up, and they did their magic. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they turned a rod, a piece of wood, into a snake. And I don't know how they turned water to blood, but somehow they did. I don't know if it was like a sleight of hand. 
You know, you watch missions today, and it, it, it's a sleight of hand. But there's sometimes where you're like, dude, how did you do that? There's no way this was sleight of hand. This had to be some sort of like black voodoo magic stuff. Like this is, this is not, oh man. So I don't know, maybe it was the work of Satan, maybe it was sleight of hand, but somehow they changed the water to blood. And they matched God's power. So Moses goes away, he comes back another day, he's like, all right, we'll, we'll get your water cleared up, let my people go. And Moses again says no. He goes, okay, here comes the frogs. Let's go, guys. Come on. Frogs all over the land. And the magicians go, oh, we can do that too. So they got their little magician hat. They waved their wand, went pow, and out came not a rabbit, but a frog. We can do it too. We can bring up the frogs. Like, your, your God, no match for us. We've matched everything. He goes, all right. He goes away. He comes back, gets rid of the frogs. Again, Pharaoh, let my people go. This is what cracks me up. The very next uh, plague was gnats. Gnats. He does his thing. Gnats all over the all over the land. Guess what the magicians can't do? They can't reproduce gnats. Of all things, man, I have gnats flying in my house everywhere. I can do that. All you gotta do is put some fruit out there and they just appear. Like that's all you gotta do. Everywhere. I'm trying to get rid of them. That would be the real miracle. <laughs> they they can't produce gnats. They could, they could make their, their, their rods turn to serpents, the water to blood. They can make frogs appear, but they can't produce gnats. And do you know what the magicians say? This has got to be the finger of God. Literally is what they say. Yeah, well, I thought the blood and the frogs were the finger of God too. The gnats, this has got to be the finger of God. The point here, Satan always has a counterfeit. And his counterfeit at first might look like that power matches God or even surpasses it. But it never does. In fact, it falls way short of God's power. And that's what Paul is saying about these men, about these false teachers. Their, their message might be good, seem good, their philosophy might seem good, but it's going to fall short. It will never match God's power. Do you remember what happened to Moses' staff when it was a, a snake and the other staffs came down, they were snakes? That staff, or that snake, swallowed up all the other snakes. God's power is not matched. His message is not matched. His truth is not matched. Nothing can match God's power, and that is good news. And that is good news. And we are in troubled waters, and we need good news. We need God's power. We need something to keep us upright, going in the right direction. We need that. And that is good news. And as I was studying for this message, it, if you look at my notes, the way I parsed out all these different messages and have these different series, sermons, um, <clears throat> I stopped right there. And as I was studying for this message, for this particular one, I went, we can't stop there. Because even though that's some good news that God's power can't be matched, that's a lot of bad news. I mean, troubled waters, moral degradation, all these, you know, false teachers. Man, I'm feeling pretty bad right now. So it gets better. It gets better. So listen to this. In <clears throat> verse 10, it says this. You, however, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, 
my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, he says this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Good news, right? While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there's a little bit of a bad news here, but it's, you, could be taking it, you could take it as good news. If you're persecuted for your faith, that's a good thing. That means you're doing something right. That means you're on the right course. And I would even go as far as saying anything from that just snarl of, oh, you're a Christian, all the way to literally being murdered for your faith. If you're being persecuted for your faith, it means you're on the right track. Because godly people, followers of Christ, will be persecuted. One way or another, whether you just get your feelings hurt or whether you lose your head, you are going to be persecuted to some extent. So even though that's bad news, it's good news. But here's the even better news. I did that part first. Here's the even, even better news. All right, so he says, he tells Timothy, he says, you have followed my example. Ultimately, that's what he's saying. You follow my conduct, my aim in life, the things that I've done. You have followed my example. Church, we need godly examples in our lives. We need godly examples to show us the way to go. Because when we hit troubled waters, we need to know what to do. And ultimately, we have Jesus Christ as an example, but the incredible thing about God and about Jesus is they have put certain people in our lives to help us along the way, to help be an example to us along the way. And you know what? I love old people. I love old people. It's okay to laugh at that. The first service laughed at that. It's okay to laugh at that. I'm not being mean here. I'm not being derogatory. I love old people. Do you know why I love old people? Ultimately, it, they're great examples to follow. But you look at their demeanor, you look at their attitude, you look at their character. Man, they have been tested by time. They have been shaped. They have been formed. God has done a work in their life. They have experienced the troubled waters. They have experienced the hardships. I love old people because I can learn from them. I can learn from them. I can, I can, I can, learn, I, I can look back at, at my life, um, even the church I grew up in, just random people, you know, no one's random, but random people that they didn't hold like a Sunday school teacher level or pastor. They, they just, they're just church members. But I remember their character. I remember their attitude. I remember how they invested in me just by, hey, how's it going? And you get a little conversation going. And you learn their character. You learn who they are and, and how they go about life and the way they handle life. And I go, man, that's what I want to be like one day. I want to follow in your footsteps because, one, you love Jesus. Two, you're passionate about life in general. You're passionate about God's people. But three, you handle trials so well. And the reason why old people handle trials so well, and this is sort of, sort of a blanket statement. I mean, we can cherry pick some that don't fall into this category. But the reason why is because they've been through it. They've been through the experience. They know 
what it feels like to be hurt, and they know what it feels like to come out of that hurt. And they know that the storms that they're going through, ultimately, it will not compare to glory. It will not compare to glory. And they've seen the hardship, and they've seen the rest from the hardship, knowing that they're probably going to go through some hardships again, and knowing that it's going to be difficult, perilous, troubled waters. But there's a different kind of peace. There's a different kind of steadiness about them that I want to learn from. I want to follow their examples. Paul is saying, Timothy, follow my example. Follow my example that I laid for you. You know, the thing about Paul, it, it, when you read that, it kind of looks like he's being a little prideful. Timothy, follow what I have set in front of you. Follow my teachings. Follow my, 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 my. But we've got to remember who Paul is. We've got to keep it in context who, who this guy is. This is the same guy who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow after me as I'm following after Christ. So this isn't just his teachings. This is Jesus' teachings that he wants you to follow and example after. And so the seniors of this church, the, the examples that we have, I, I, I ask you, who are the people in your life that you're following after? Yeah, I, I get um, the privilege of teaching the teens, and something that I try to instill in them, probably not as often as I should, is the importance of looking to the godly elders in the church. The importance of looking at these seniors who have been here, they have done that, and how to follow after their example. Because here's the thing, if I, at, at 31 years old, can learn what them at 100 years old, 95 years old, 80 years old, if I can learn what they have and apply it to my life, wouldn't that just be better? Wouldn't that just be a better life that I'd be living, the, the demeanor, the character that I have? But then if I can learn what I have from them and instill it in even younger people, younger generations, man, wouldn't that just change the world? It would change the world. If we were following after godly examples, it would change the world. And that's my encouragement to you guys. Who are the God examples in your life that you can look to? Who are the people that you can go, man, here's a hard time that I'm going through. I see, I have seen how they have handled it. I want to do the way that they did it. And, you know, I, I read a lot of authors. Uh, I read, uh, I follow a lot of people on social media, like Christian leaders and stuff. One of the authors that I like to read is uh, John Maxwell. It's the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Great book awesome book. Um, he has another book that we're going through right now, 16 Laws of Communication. Awesome principles. But the thing is, when I get into a situation and I go, man, this is a hard time. This is, this is, this is some difficulty. I don't go, I wonder what Did we lose it? Nope, it's back. Try that again. I, I might get to a point where um, a situation I'm going through is similar to what he has described, and I can apply this principle. But ultimately, I think about people that I know. I think about the examples that I have, the people that I know, and I think, how did they handle this? How did they go through this? And so as people that we know, we've rubbed shoulders with, we know their character, we know who they are. So follow good examples. But then it gets even better. It gets even better. And he, he continues, and he says this. Um, in verse 14, Paul says this, but as for you, and then insert Timothy there, as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You, Timothy, continue on this path that you're on. Continue going the direction that you've been going. Stay the course, Timothy. Stay going this direction. Something we know about Timothy, if you remember from several messages ago, something we know about Timothy is that from an early, early age, um, he had people pouring into his life. He had his mother, he had his grandmother, even Paul, uh, probably at the age of Timothy being about 20, is when Paul began to disciple Timothy. So from an early age, an early time period, Timothy had people pouring into his life. And Paul is saying, Timothy, remember these things. Continue in these things. Continue going in this direction. Remember where you've come from. Remember what you've done and how God has, has taught you all these years and continue in it. Don't do something new. Don't veer off to the left or to the right. Stay doing what you have been, what has been instilled in you. The thing is that maybe we can't all apply this to our own lives. I don't know all of you. I don't know your upbringings. I don't know what you've had and what you haven't had. Uh, some of you might have the Timothy testimony where you grew up in, in church, you grew up in the faith, and people have poured into your life, and that's awesome. Some of you haven't. Some of you have had more of a Paul-type testimony where you thought you were doing the right thing, you thought you were going this way, and then God just radically changed your life, and he puts you on a different course. And some of you maybe were just completely ignorant to the things of God. You didn't really know who Jesus was or what the Bible was and what going to church was. And maybe that's your testimony, but God rescued you out of this. One thing I do know is this, is that if you are here today and you are following after God, continue in that. Continue in that. Continue going in this direction because I know this, and I'm a little bit biased here, you're in a good church. You're in a good church that teaches you about God, that teaches you the gospel, that provides community. You're in a good place. Continue in that. And whether it's this body or whether it's another body, that doesn't matter. Continue being in a good church, in a good body. Continue going in that direction. Because we need the church. We need each other. We need the sacred writings. We need the teachings. We need scripture in our life, and we need the godly examples. We need to continue in those things. Going back to the very beginning of this message, if you remember, um, my son Silas, he's, he's not a very good swimmer. He's just not. He's just not a good swimmer. He's one and a half years old, can't tread water. So a little bit of water for him is very troublesome, especially at the beach. A little bit of water, a little bit of current, a little bit of waves, wipes him out, takes him out. But then you have his dad, who's a little bit better of a swimmer than Silas. I like to get out to the ocean. I like to fight the waves and all this stuff. Yes, I'm comparing myself to my one-and-a-half-year-old son. I, that's, that's who I am. I'm that type of swimmer. I like to get out in the water. And then you have someone who's even better than me. You have Philip Brand, who is just an incredible swimmer. He can tread water for, for hours days and he can swim miles and he wrote a book about it and taught lessons about swimming you know and who's even better but then you have Michael Phelps who could be all of us here in this room most likely 
I don't know. Some of you all might be good swimmers. I don't know. But uh, probably not Michael Phelps level. Michael Phelps won. He all these gold medals. Here's the thing I do know. If you were to take the best swimmer in this world and drop them out into the Atlantic Ocean in the midst of a storm and told them, hey, get back to shore, they wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. There's no way they would survive that. There's no way they would be able to survive the waves that are coming and crashing, the storm that's coming in. If that didn't get them, the pure exhaustion and, and hunger, malnutrition would get them, if not sharks, right? They're dead. They're dead. There's no way they could survive that. We, as Christians, cannot survive outside of the community of the church. We cannot survive the troubled waters. We cannot survive the tempest, the, the godlessness in the last days. We cannot survive. We have to be in the body. No man is an island. No man can survive on his own. We have to have the body of Christ. And it's important. It's important that you, you invest. It's important that you get involved because that's life. But when all else fails, there's even better news. And we're going to read about that. In uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen, you know this, I'm sure. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When all else fails, let's just say hypothetically, all the churches, all the churches failed. It's not going to happen because the Bible says it's not going to happen. Let's just say it did. You have God's word as an anchor for your soul. You have God's word as the anchor for your soul. I, I know a guy, a, a friend of mine, who he was in the military, um, and he enlisted in the National Guard. He was sent overseas to Afghanistan. And he was a strong Christian. He was super, super, super strong. Uh, all the people in his company, they, they called him the chaplain. He wasn't the chaplain, but they all called him, hey, chap, hey, man. Because he was, he was always preaching, he was always teaching. But he got to a place where he was so alone overseas and the things that he saw, he started to waver. His faith dimmed. He wavered from what he was, he was truly believing. But do you know what kept him staying the course? It's God's word. It was being anchored in God's word. <laughs> Let me tell you, I get that way too. In fact, this week, I don't really know what was going on, but I needed God's word. I needed his word. I don't know if it was just lack of sleep. You know, sometimes it just messes with your mind and you start believing lies and all this stuff because your brain's not where it's supposed to be. I needed God's word. It was so refreshing to get back and to get my ship in the direction that it needed to go. And it's exactly what I needed. I needed God's word. In addition, I've got God's people too. And that's incredible. And that helps my in the right But you need it, you need it as well. Don't forsake God's word. Don't forsake the reading. Don't forsake the sweet, amazing time that you have to spend with God. I mean, we all have phones on, I mean, uh, Bibles on our phones. We have Bibles on our shelves. 
Don't forsake that time. You need his word to anchor you back where you need to be and to stay. Let's pray. Dear my Father, Lord, I thank you so much for all that you are, all that you do. I thank you for your, your word. I thank you for your message. Um, Father, I pray that it resonates in someone's life. God, I pray that, that you would just use your word to anchor their soul that you would use the church to keep their ship going in the right direction. God, I pray that um, if there's someone here that they need to get back on course, that they would do that today. That they would, they would, they would see the lighthouse, they would hear you calling, that they would get their ship going in the right direction today, that you would use this time. God, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for how you work. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church, God. like to stand, um, you can talk to me, you can come to the altar, do business with God, you can stay in your seat, but we're going to praise Jesus in this moment. Come out of sight.